Welcome to this week's episode of Stand Out, growing in the organizing and productivity profession brought to you by NAPO, the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Every episode, we will learn from NAPO members and subject matter experts as they share their successes, challenges, best practices, proven strategies, industry developments, and more. And now, here's your host, Claire Kumar, NAPO member since 2010. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of NAPO's Podcast Standout, the podcast all about bettering your business, and sometimes that means bettering you. I'm Claire Kumar, your host, and thrilled to be with you. Now, you are going to love this episode. There is a mother load of love and encouragement coming your way from our guest today, the fabulous Leslie M. We're going to be talking about swagger. Not the brash, arrogant, slightly obnoxious form that might have just popped into your mind, but the deeply true version, which leads to confident self-expression. Self-acceptance and love of your flossom self is at the heart of it. And it's the title of Leslie's brand new book, Swagger, Unleash Everything You Are and Become Everything You Want. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see why I was immediately attracted to this book. A hot dose of hot pink and sunshine yellow, my kind of energy. You gotta see this book, it's gorgeous. So let me share just a little bit about Leslie. She's a former TV host. I did not know that until I read Leslie's bio, an advertising creative director and training guru. I knew Leslie was a training guru and has spent decades traveling the globe with her award-winning company, get this, Combustion. What a kick-ass name that is. She worked with top organizations you know, like Google, Disney, PepsiCo, TD Bank, Uber, and HBO. She has turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers, and has brought a serious dose of badassness to boardrooms everywhere. Leslie is now a swagger coach, fueled by her unrelenting passion for developing human potential. Leslie Ann will reach into your soul. She'll pull out your most powerful, authentic self and help release your badass swagger into the waiting world. She's been called better than therapy, a rock star, ass kicking, a force of nature, and even a witch. And she's there for all of it. Welcome, Leslie. Hi, it's so delicious to be here. That's the best word I could think of. Absolutely delicious. I love that word. I use it a ton too. And that's exactly right. I am so thrilled to bring your awesomeness to everybody here. I wanted to start with a question for you. And the question is, I want to understand I mean, I've said your definition of swagger is different. It's not what naturally might come to mind. So when I read your book, I read the term badass, the term chutzpah came to mind. There was a lot of bravery and boldness in this journey to find swagger. Can you help us understand in your words what we're aiming for and help me connect particularly swagger to the word badass? Well, swagger is the ability to manifest who you really are. and hold on to it in the face of all of that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of the situation or environment you're in. So it's about knowing what makes you special and different, 
loving it, embracing it, and understanding that it's your place of power. And that's where the badassness comes from. Because once you have swagger, you are unshakable, unmovable, unchangeable. You show up with one face, no matter where you are, and no matter what life throws at you. You are just the beautiful and badass you. I love it. So I get this feeling of someone who's centered, someone who's grounded, someone who knows themselves. And I mean, if I think of Brene Brown, they're a boundaried person. They're able to speak their truth around what is okay and what is not okay. They have the confidence of Oprah sitting in a chair interviewing. They have the confidence of and the ability to be experimentational and do what they feel is interesting like Lady Gaga. There are so many people that seem to, in my mind, exemplify that. Do you have some swaggery examples of people that, that display this? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because we know that when we think of celebrities, for example, so much of what we see is curated. We don't really know if what we're seeing is who they are, which is sort of antithetical to what Swaggery is, because I would have to be able to say for sure that sitting down and drinking coffee with Lady Gaga is the same thing as watching Lady Gaga, you know, in an interview or on a stage or something. And I know that many celebrities kind of have those personas that they step into, you know, Beyonce had Sasha Fierce, for example. So it's hard for me to say, but my swagger icon in the celebrity realm is RuPaul Charles. That is the person that I think is so incredible because the thing about RuPaul is that if you've ever watched Drag Race, if you haven't, you've got to watch Drag Race because it's the most incredible show on the planet. And what is amazing is that RuPaul literally wears two personas in this. When he comes and works with the drag queens, when they are out of drag in the workroom and he's helping them to prepare for their challenges, he's really this beautiful, gentle, soulful mentor to them. He brings out the best. He recognizes what's holding them back. He's able to extract this beautiful juice out of them. And he's loving and tender. Then when he becomes RuPaul, you know, supermodel of the world and is in that place of judging because he's got to judge as well, but he's the badass version. He's the take no prisoners. He's you better bring it and you better show me everything you've got and I'm not going to settle for less. But they are both so authentic to who RuPaul is. They're just the roles that he's playing in the show, but he never hides the fact that he is both of those people sort of integrated, but just wears two different wigs in the process or doesn't wear a wig and then wears a wig. So <laughs> yeah, it's, true. I love that. I think that's such an incredible thing to be able to do because it's almost the opposite of that fragmentation that most people experience, right? Where they're one person at work and they're one person at home and with their friends. He's able to bring both of those things to that one place. Well, and different roles demand different skills and talents of us in that. I mean, as leaders, though, at home and at work, we kind of need some of the same skills. There's a lot mm -hmm. of, from my executive coaching, I thought, this is actually good teen parenting. <laughs> this is what I'm learning here. Oh, yeah. Relationship but, building, all of that stuff. All of that stuff. So I like this because when I read Swagger, I thought, well, wait a minute. What about Todd Herman's alter ego? And then I noticed this is the very first endorsement in your book. And so Todd's book talks about alter ego as a tool. And I wonder if there's a distinction or if there's some way that these two books full of different kinds of wisdom can coexist. Like, And what struck me is, and you mentioned it right off the bat, if you're a performer, is there a need to 
use an alter ego approach to assume an identity, figure out what that looks like and deliver it. And in the work world and in our personal world where we need to connect really at our deepest level with other human beings, is there a place for an alter ego or not? I was really, and I don't want to talk about Todd's book. I yeah, want to talk about your book, your book but I think it really made me think. Because Todd and I actually have had conversations about this. And I think, I think the thing that we agree on is it's about reaching deeply into yourself and understanding what you're capable of. And if you can best manifest that aspect of yourself by imagining that you're someone other than who you are, whatever works for you, babe, that, you know, do you, I am not ever going to judge whatever works. What I in particular am sort of professing is that you don't need to, if it helps you and it works for you, that's great, but never forget that it's still you. It is still the authentic you that you are manifesting. And if you kind of need that, that crutch or that perspective, whatever, as you build the underpinning skills to get there, then you got to do what you do. I don't want anyone to ever be or felt held back in this world. But what, what I love is that when people realize that they have that much in them to give, and that people will sit up and take notice of them, they start to lose that need for a persona. Because here's the rub about that. If I, let's say, I am manifesting a persona in order to achieve this goal, there is going to be part of me that's going to say, well, it's not really me who achieved it. It's the persona. Or it's not really me that people are validating or appreciating. It's the persona. And the real me is still this messy, flawed, imperfect person that I haven't yet been able to embrace. And I think that that's exactly where your power comes from, is when you start to love all of your stuff, because we are so rich with stuff. And the unfortunate part is we tend to kind of parse it out based on all of the negative messages or and the positive that we've heard over our lives. And we think this is the stuff about me that's not acceptable and not lovable and, you know, not worthy of validation. And this is the stuff that is. So I'm going to focus on this stuff and I'm going to try and ignore that stuff or I'm going to try and suppress that stuff. But it doesn't work that way. We are complex human beings and we are a product of everything we've experienced. And we're a product of all of those things that are challenges, that are strengths, that are like all of the nuances. And I, when I look at myself in the mirror, I see all of that. I see the things that I'm a mess about. I've learned to laugh about it and embrace it. So I don't, I don't want to feel fragmented. I think that takes a lot of energy. I absolutely agree with you. It's interesting, as I reflected on my evolution as an entrepreneur, my first blog posts, for example, were really factual. They were how-tos. They were helpful, but they were bland. Mm. They were so yeah. boring. Well, because it's an assimilation tool. How can I sound like everybody else who is smart in this space? Well, how can no. I show that I have I know some stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now if I'm giving an interview, the first thing I want to do is bring in a real life story about, you know, I was talking about how in January, yes, we need routines and structure. And even my structure fell apart because I found myself in my pajamas at two in the afternoon in January in the third week of gray skies and yeah, you just did. losing you did. my mojo, right? Yeah. And it's like all of a sudden, not only does it become more interesting because your story's woven in to this content, but you're no longer, I mean, especially for organizing and productivity people who are expected to show on time, not forget anything, be really well put together, not make mistakes. 
the bar is high. So if we can allow ourselves to be people that are fallible and, you know, have found our way to this journey and use it in the way we talk about our business, I think it makes things a little bit more interesting and compelling. So I'm well, also out. relatable, also relatable because the very people, for example, as a productivity expert, the very people that you're working with are saying, I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I don't know how to do it. I feel like I don't have it together. Everybody else has it together. I mean, look at you, you have it so together. And the best thing that you can do for them is to go, girl, no, I don't. You know, it's my work and it's my expertise. It's my focus. But believe me, there are days when I am not productive and you will have those days too. And it's all good. I'm just going to help you to next level your game because I've learned how to do it. And right away, the person goes, oh, okay, pressure off, you know, pressure off because we're the same and now we can connect and now I can speak my truth to you because yeah. you spoke your truth to me. That's it. And then the shame and the guilt that a lot of clients bring to us. It's like, don't judge me. And it's like, that's not what I'm here to do. I met my, one of the things that happened in the past couple of weeks is, you know, coaching with the client. They're like, oh my God, you're always so high energy. I'm like, yeah, that's because I just took a nap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's because yeah. I can't, I fixed my bedhead and now I'm here yeah. and I can give it my all because I needed rest. I'm not the energizer bunny that can just keep going. I need to take care of things. So yeah, it just took me a long time to realize that and connect to that. So for business and service providers, there's an opportunity here that as part of stepping into your swagger to get in touch with maybe even stories and things that have happened to you on your journey that your clients might relate to. Would that yeah, be something you would encourage? Absolutely. I think anything that is the manifestation of who you really are, the thing, because it's only one you, that's the secret that everybody forgets that if you step into who you really are, you have no competition in this world. You know, there's nobody who could do you, who could write like you, who could speak like you, who could tell the stories that you can tell, who can bring the expertise because you're this amalgam of all of the little particles that make up the unique you. And when we are willing to bring that forward and saying to the other person, well, I wanna connect with the authentic part of you, the, the unique part of you, what we learn about each other is, first of all, it's the magical stuff. And second of all, if we're trying to elevate our business, we start to understand that if we do speak our truth and if we do allow all of those you know, aspects of ourselves to shine through in our brand, let's say, then we stand out because everybody else who hasn't figured out the secret are trying to assimilate. They're looking to the left and the right to figure out what everybody else is doing and saying, well, that must be right. So I'm going to do that. And the people who have found their swagger go, oh, I'm just going to I'm just going to do me and see what happens, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's interesting because on a personal note, I've just taking the business into a phase where I'm focusing on people that identify with very much a trait that I have, this highly sensitive person. And so all of a sudden I'm finding the people that find me and understand that it's so magnetic because we get each other instantly we get each other and so there's a bit of a power tool in in that allowing yourself expression and stepping into it i was really afraid to do it afraid of you know niching too small and so on and honestly it's early days yet but the connection the depth of connection and instant oh i i had somebody write to me after just giving a talk last week oh i know i i knew i wanted to get to know you and now i know why kind of thing. So beautiful. It's like there's yeah. some subliminal things you might be projecting, but the more you step into it, the more powerful your attraction can be. Well, well, also you have to think about, you know, if you don't 
allow anything to get out in the world you can't allow anything to get in. It's a two-way pipe. It's not a one-way system. So the act of dropping those defenses and saying, I am here, I am available. All of my stuff is available. That's part of what, what vulnerability is, but not in the, you know, oh my God, you could hurt me with a word, but more of the, if I am open to you, that makes you open to me and I can receive you the same way as that I can give to you. And that to me is the key to connection. Right? Every like, this is not a rehearsal, this life that we have. This moment, you and I, Claire, right here, this moment, we're never going to be able to recreate as it is. So I want to be able to be open to the moment and to make sure that I can be fully present, fully engaged, and fully in my place of purpose. And I can't do that if I'm only bringing a certain part of me to the party. There's a percentage of me that's getting left behind because of insecurity or fear or, you know, or persona ambition, whatever pain, whatever it, whatever it might be. Then I'm not really doing anybody a favor. I'm not doing myself a favor. And I'm sure as hell not doing you a favor because I'm not giving you all of me. Yeah. So swagger and getting to that place of swagger is a lot of work on yourself. And what I liked a point you made in the book is it's about practice. It's about playing with it, understanding what you call are the five different blockers, which you just listed there. It's understanding our relationship to those things. And I love that you have practical kind of coaching exercises to help people along the path to get through these blocks of fear, of pain, of insecurity, persona, all of these different things that can stand in the way and sort of be repressing that side. So it's a real how-to opportunity, but in a really Leslie M style coaching way. Like <laughs> y'all listen to the way Leslie's speaking now. She is and carry this voice in your head with you when you read the book, because I just, you know, I finished reading it earlier this week and there are points when I would laugh out loud in part because I know you and I can hear your voice so much, but your choice of words, it's so much you, you are, there's a meta thing here happening in the book. You are in your swagger in the book about swagger, right? You are showing up as Leslie M with the words and phrases and just the way of talking, the way of showing up that you would be in real life if we happened to be in a training room with you. Mm -hmm. Yep. That really was the goal for me for this book was that the drive to write it was because I could see the impact of the work that I was having in those training rooms or in those coaching sessions. And, you know, I'm on a plane every, or I was on a plane every, you know, twice a week and traveling the world and all the rest of it. And I got to the point where I was like, I want to clone myself. I want this message and not me, but kind of what is passing through me, what I'm the catalyst for. I wanted it to, to be bigger because I could see the impact that it was having. And I realized how kind of limited it was. You know, I mean, you can, I can unleash swagger one person at a time or one training room at a time, but I knew that the message was bigger. I knew that the power and the potential for swagger was much bigger than me. So I just feel like I'm a conduit for it. And I had to be a legit conduit. I had to be honest about every aspect of it. I didn't want to pull any punches. I didn't want to lay bullshit sugar on anybody. And I wanted to make sure that that I held people's hands through because that's what I'm all about. I'm tough mother love, you know? So I wanted to hold people's hands, but give them a little smack on the bottom and go, go get it. Get in there. You could do it. You know, that combination of stuff. Yeah. And well, and I think it's, it's your authentic voice in there. There is swearing, there are F-bombs in the book. Yeah, and yeah. And it, <laughs> Honestly, and you talk about actually swearing, which I 
have been known to swear a few you, times. Claire Kumar has um, been known mm-hmm. My kids, Mike, okay, you'll like this. My kids used to say, mom, 25 cents every time you swear and you're taking us out to dinner when there's enough in the jar. They were fining me. So it, it maybe became too much of a habit, but I agree with you. There is something cathartic and powerful about using swear it's words, visceral. cuss words, whatever. It, it, it is, it is, visceral. it is exactly. I mean, yeah. I taught my kids the opposite. I swear freely. And what I taught my kids is these are words to express passion in some way. I hurt myself, so I'm going to swear out loud, or I'm really frustrated, or I'm super excited and happy. And they're, they're sort of the extreme expression of those emotions. So use them. Just make sure that you're looking around in your environment, you know, use them, be smart about it, and don't use them as a weapon. You don't swear at someone. You don't use them in any abusive form. But as I said, you know, I I posted one of my swagger quotes the other day. And I said, you know, no one has a problem with swearing when you tell them how effing awesome they are. It's it's funny, right? Funny. Well, WTF. Yeah. It's become colloquial. It's been become accepted because we don't see it. And it's just a weird thing, right? But yeah, I remember my dad was when he was fighting cancer. I used to go and visit him in the hospital in London, two hours from Toronto, where I am on the weekend. And I remember, and I give my mom a break because she was there Monday to Friday. I'd show up Friday night till Sunday. And I remember one of the first things I did with him was like, dad, you got to be angry. This is like, you're, you're 50 years old, 51 years old. This is like, you're being like, you must be angry. How about we swear. I want you to come up with a swear word for every letter of the alphabet. And so we sat there and we had an exercise to just like oh, come up so with the fun. most ridiculous, like, ang- like just to get some anger out too, mm-hmm. because I loved what you said. You encouraged your kids to express their emotion because if we repress our emotion, it's finding a path to express itself within our bodies. Mm-hmm. And that's a dangerous, dangerous mm-hmm. habit to cultivate. Yep. So yeah, finding a, a healthy, emotional release that's not disparaging to other people, I think yeah. there's a place for it. And and, and I, I loved it in your book. I think also, for me, it's really about the bigger picture about swearing, which is just an example, is about how we judge one another and how free we are with our judgment. And that bugs me. You know, it really bugs me. I, I It's like, let he who is without thing cast the first stone, whatever that thing is, right? And I think, Wow, you know, if we all had more swagger and we could look at each other and say, you do you, boo. Because there is no one right way to manifest swagger. It doesn't show up the same way in everybody. It can be really quiet. It can be really gentle. It can be really bold and in your face. It can be funny. It can be, you know, more introverted, more extroverted. Like It manifests differently in everyone. And it is not for anyone else to judge how it manifests. That's like antithetical to swagger. You are so not swaggery. If you were <laughs> people, you get your swagger card taken back. It's like, no, you don't, you don't get that. Because for me, I just love everyone. Unless they're that's why in the book I talk about intention. And I know that that especially in today's world, intention has become a very loaded kind of concept because some people will tell you, no, no, no. Your intention is not enough. You have to know all the rules of exactly what to say so that you don't offend anybody and you don't. I'm like, look, nobody is going to meet that 
standard, that criteria. It's not possible. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to get it wrong. But if our intention is one of love and acceptance and, and non-judgment and trying to be better at all of those things, then you can say, if you feel the need to apologize because you did offend someone, which I also talk about in the book, and because I say, be careful, because when other people expect you, you know what they how they do that, they expect you to apologize. I take a step back and go, wait a second, is this some kind of a power play that's going on here that I'm supposed to say that I was wrong? And I'm like, wait, but was I? Or is it that your tolerance for things are different than mine? Or your willingness to accept things is different than mine? Or your your level of scrutiny is different than mine? Or all of those things. And it's like, well, no, I mean, I'm not going to apologize because I, I didn't do anything wrong because I know what my intention was. So I can say my intention was to do X. If I didn't accomplish that, I'd like a do-over, please. Or let me help me to get that right. But I'm not going to say that I'm sorry. I say sorry if I bump into someone in the corridor, you know, back in the day. Or I if I forget someone's name or if I, you know, those kinds of things. Or if I really do offend somebody, then I'm going to apologize. But I'm not going to apologize just because somebody else is trying to impose their levels of thing upon me. That's not cool. That's not cool. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. I remember having a three-part apology from my kids because I thought part of apologizing is you have to understand if there's something to be sorry for. And what is it? So, okay, you're feeling sorry for what? Okay, let's name what you're sorry for. And next time, what's the learning? What's the next time in it? There's not. There's nothing good in just an I'm sorry. There's, n- there's not enough in it. No, it's too so, easy. It's too easy too. Yeah, it is. And you don't even know if somebody really meant it. So what did that mean? Is that just, you know, just so they can move on and tick a box? Or is there some, it's for me, it's about learning. And, and is there learning? Maybe there's a learning about self. Well, actually, I'm not sorry that I did that. So it's a good cause for pause. <laughs> Those moments where you're feeling, should I say sorry? I had one this morning, actually, around some media and between the agency and the PR person, and there was a misunderstanding. I'm like, let's look at where that misunderstanding came from. Okay, because this was the clear communication and, you know, it's not possible to do it that way. Here's an explanation of what we can do going forward. Well, as women, uh, women too, are very conditioned to apologize. How about Canadians? And Canadians are very conditioned. (laughs) And I don't fall, although I'm a female Canadian, I don't buy into any of that in, in any way, shape or form. The thing that drives me the most nuts is when someone asks you to do something for them for free or to give you their time. Can I just pick your brain? Or can I have 10 minutes of your time? Or can I, people will just say to me, can I sit down with you for a half an hour to talk about something? I'm like, what? Wait, wait, did you pay into the bank? I don't, I don't see that deposit into the bank and whatever. And I am not going to respond with, I'm sorry, but oh, hell to the no. You just asked me to do something for free. So it's going to be My time is incredibly valuable, so I need to monetize my time. That's how I make a living. I can't do that right now, or I'm not available to do that. Or here's my, here's, if you'd like to book an appointment with me for a fee, here's an opportunity for you. And so that's, it's an interesting one as organizing and productivity professionals, we get asked that a lot too. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you've got to define what you're willing to do that's exploratory and you're getting something out of the opportunity too. What are you willing to do in generous capacity for free potentially? And what do you just absolutely know? I'm sorry, I won't be able to do that. Yeah. I prefer to offer it 
as opposed to being asked for it. Because then I've got massive generosity of spirit. I'm like, come on, we'll do a free coaching call. I'm going to help you out. It's going to be great. Oh my God, that's so amazing. You know, I've done that, you know, on countless occasions. But when someone is presumptuous enough to think that my expertise doesn't have value, I go, no, 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 no. Imagine if I say, Claire, could you just come over and like redo my closet? I'm sure you won't mind. It'll only be a few hours. Can you just, a few yeah. hours. Exactly. Exactly. Friends, and and that's so. how to just invite resentment into a relationship very quickly. And it happens in volunteer organizations. If the contract isn't right between what you subscribe to do and, and the remuneration or the, the time commitment, there's a lot to get right in the giving. I liked it. It just makes me think as well of your point about relationship building, that it's a two-way thing. It's reciprocity is at play. And all of of these things. And I think there's something to being in that place of swagger that it's just, it removes a lot of tension when you can get to that place and be really, just really sure of who you are. It allows you to say what's in and what's out and you, there's no fight in it. So this came up for me too in the book and I, I just have to chat with you about it a little bit. I have been one of those speak up people. Speak truth to power, you say in the book. And oh my, I was like putting boxes around that. That Ever since I was a kid, I've been the talk back kid, the talk like challenge, 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 challenge. I'm in Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies, the questioner, right? So if you make something make sense to me, I'm your girl. But if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to stay curious and invite you to help me understand. You're far more gentle than I. I just get pissed. Well, well, actually, that would be me now. <laughs> My journey has been to learn how to put the stick down, to come out swinging, to stay in that place of curiosity. I'm thinking of our friend, Michael Bungay-Staniers, you know, coaching, like stay in that coaching mind to ask questions, right? To get to the same outcome, you can hold your boundaries. You can stay curious. You can maintain what you want to have happen yep. without taking everybody down. I'm like, yep. There's some power yeah. in that, right? Seriously. That's part of it too, because that goes back to intention. You know, if you're, because of the three swagger drivers are truth, intention, and self-belief. So truth, intention, and self-belief. These are the aspects or the elements of your communication, your behavior that are going to drive your swagger through the blockers and bring it out into the world in all of its glory. And those three things have to work in concert because if your truth is solely about you, if you're just barfing your truth all over everyone, no one's going to be for that. Nobody wants to get barfed all over. It's not, it's not a fun exercise in any way, shape or form. They stop listening. Yeah, right? they, they start listening. just tune you out. Yeah. And that is not why you're speaking your truth. You're speaking your truth so that you can be heard and acknowledged and accepted and validated and acted upon, all of those things. So you got to get smart about how you speak your truth. And the first thing is to ask yourself, is this truth only for my benefit? And if that's the case, mm, it's probably not going to fly. If you can't figure out how to reframe it as being good for the collective and good for the world in some way, shape or form, why is anybody going to want to listen? You also need to think about not just what am I going to say, how am I going to frame it, but when, with whom or to whom, and even perhaps where. So for example, if you are in a meeting and you see an opportunity to pay back someone who has treated you badly in the past or to take them down a peg or whatever. And you, what you're saying is truth. It's factual truth. 
it's not going to go well because your intention was to be an a-hole. It was to shine the light on you at the expense of someone else. It was to diminish somebody else. That's not going to go well. So if you want to correct something that's going on in a meeting that you think is incorrect, you say to yourself, well, what is my intention here? My intention is to make sure that the facts that I know to be true don't get overlooked in this important situation. The next question is, okay, is right now the best time to do it? Or am I going to show somebody up and not actually get, I'm just going to be seen as that girl, you know, or is it better to wait till after the meeting and go and talk to the person who made the error and say, Hey, I noticed. So I don't know if you want to circle back and let everybody know, or I can find a way to do it or whatever, or you can go around to the boss. And without mentioning the person who made the mistake, you could say, you know what? I had just been, you know, I don't know if that was maybe dated information, but I just wanted to make sure that we have the most up-to-date information. So here's a little extra something, something to help you get on track. Then you're not that girl. You're someone who spoke your truth, but you did it in a way that was smart, that was driven by your intention. And you believed that you had the right and the ability to say it, which is self-belief. Yeah. And you were smart enough not to trigger somebody else's amygdala, which would just get them to play their defenses. And then the reciprocity is gone. And when reciprocity is gone, the whole team spirit just shuts down, right? So it made me think, first of all, about a two-year-old, you know, at a checkout going, I want a chocolate, I want a chocolate, I want a chocolate. Well, my daughter figured out pretty quickly, it was much better to say, mom, can we get these chocolates so you can have some? <laughs> yes, very <laughs> smart. Like, oh, reframing, like, reframing. She, she wouldn't care if she just got one, if she could give away 99, if she got, that was her way to get one. She was yeah. just, oh, I'm like, you're a smart kid. You know, people always tell me, they always say, Leslie, you were able to get away with so much. That's how they frame it. You can get away with saying things that if other people said them, they just would not fly. You're just, you're fearless and you're so irreverent and you're so on and so forth. And I think the reason that I get away with it, which I don't even think I'm making little finger, little air quotes for those who are listening. I don't think I get away with it. I think I lead with my intention. People understand the spirit in which I bring everything. I am all about love. And you figure that out about me in two seconds because I'm so love first, love front. And so people are willing to accept my truth in that spirit. You know, they know that it's not designed to hurt or diminish or to whatever. So I can be super direct, for example, which I love in other people. I loved directness in other people, but I love when people can do it without it feeling like a punch in the face. Yeah, because it's very efficient to be direct. And I was taking that tack. But then I realized if I ended up feeling, oh, I could have said that better. I'm carrying around this conversation that, that was judging me thinking I could have done better. And certainly the other people are feeling something less than desirable too. Listen, girl, having swagger is all about the do-overs. You are allowed to have do-overs in your life. If you have an interaction or a conversation or whatever it is with someone else and you don't feel great about it for whatever reason, for whatever reason, you go ask for a do-over because the likelihood is if you don't feel great about it, the other person didn't feel great about it either. And it takes courage to do that, but it is such a way to reconnect and to not have any kind of lingering negativity between you and other people and to also teach yourself how to get it right. You know, so I, with my coaching clients and I talk about it in the book, it's like, go, if you're not happy about it, go ask for a do-over. You can even do that when you've had a client meeting. 
you know, send them a note and say, you know what? I felt like I didn't bring my best self to that meeting. Could I have another 15 minutes just to kind of reconnect? Because I didn't feel comfortable about that. Now, the other person that has the full power to say no, but that's about who they are. And it could be for whatever reasons, but that's about who they are. But you did what you felt was right in terms of your desire to get it right and to reconnect, which I think is really important. I love that. I love this sort of give yourself permission and encouragement to go do a do-over because the discomfort part is where we're learning and growing, right? And the better we can be, the better our businesses can be too. Oh, I mean, exponentially, you want to be able to go into every situation saying, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be real. And whatever happens is going to happen. And if I'm not satisfied with how it went, A, I'm going to learn from it. And B, I always have the opportunity or the option to reach out and have my do-over. And again, we want clients who are for us. We don't want all clients. You don't want everyone to be your client. Those are some of the ways that you can figure out who might be the right client for you. Someone who's willing to give you a do-over. Someone who goes, no, I think you were great. I loved you. I thought, you know, like none of us have to be perfect. Whatever their response is, you get a sense of, ah, are we a fit? Are we right for each other? Yeah. I have discovery calls with clients that I'm hoping, you know, we're going to see if there's a fit for them and a fit for me in terms of working together because you're dancing together. And so it's got to feel good. And if, if there's tension, I mean, and especially, you know, hiring lawyers, I will not hire a lawyer without a 20 minute conversation to understand if we can even communicate. Oh, of course. Of course. And you also know, even on those, those discovery calls, everyone's their best selves. They're trying to be their best selves too. So you don't really get to the heart of what the other person is like unless you drop your guard first, unless you set the tone first. So when I'm when I'm talking to people about coaching, for example, I swear I'm on my irreverent normal self. I talk about how we're gonna unpack them, crack them open like nuts, you know, all that, that fun stuff. Because if they're not down with that vibe, it's never gonna work between us. But if they get excited about that and say, yeah, I love her energy, I love her irreverence, I love her authenticity, you know, I love her spirit, they're gonna love the experience of working with me because I know that I've got the stuff. I've got the expertise and I've got the process and everything. But if we don't vibe, it's never going to work. And I always know my antenna goes and they go up and they're swishing back and forth. And I go, oh, oh, Leslie, this person's not for you. We cannot be for everyone. And and that's that exactly right. And you're like, I think I know where I can send them. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you send them to another organizer, productivity yeah. coach or right. And that's that's a really great way our industry can support each other, too. When you think about how much energy it takes to manage a client who is, and I'm going to use the term difficult. It doesn't mean they're difficult. It means they're difficult for you, right? That a client who is difficult for you, the amount of energy that you have to expend, the amount of time you're thinking about it, the thinking about it and processing it and feeling things and stuff. I guarantee you, if you did not have that client, you would be better off. The money would ceases to matter at some point. You would be better off without them. So it's better to have clients that help raise your energy, not drain your energy. You want to feel jacked after an encounter, you know, interaction with your clients. You don't want to feel drained. That is not you being in your place of purpose. Yeah. So anybody who's feeling that now has a client that's maybe not a fit, look at the opportunity of opening the space for a client that is. And uh-huh. it's like breaking up with clients, breaking up with relationships, you're opening the doors for things that are a better fit. So yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's truth too. Right. It's, it's not, yeah. it's not working. It's not working with us. That's true. <laughs> 
Well, there has been so much truth spoken in this interview. I have learned even more about stepping into swagger and I feel like I'm closer to it than I've ever been. And I think, well, actually, I think we'll save this for the bonus question on YouTube. I have a question I want to dig into, but I want to thank you for sharing your wisdom here in this episode of Standout. Listen, everybody, tune in for the next episode. Until then, please stay safe, be kind, and enjoy your journey. Thanks again, Leslie, for joining us today. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Claire. That's all for today's episode of Standout, brought to you by NAPO the National Association of Productivity and Organizing Professionals. Be sure to visit napo.net to join, learn more about our educational offerings, local chapters, and more.